Hello and welcome back to episode 2 of Serial Crimes. I'm your host and I'm joined today by a big bowl of Serial Toast Crunch because today's episode is a little longer than the first one. I'm going to be talking about the case of Madeline McCann, which is the case that got me into true crime and investigative work in the first place. I'm sure you've all heard about the disappearance of Madeline and to this day this case remains unsolved, which leaves a lot of room for theories. And believe me when I say, there are so many theories when it comes to this case. It's always been very public and with the rise of the internet, so many people have taken to speculating and sharing their theories online. And of course there have been countless books written on this case, most famously one by Madeline's own mother, which I have read. And I'll say it right now, I didn't really enjoy it and I wouldn't recommend it. In fact, whilst I'm at it, I want to give a little disclaimer. I've read a lot about this case and although I'll talk about all the information available to the public and each individual theory, I am definitely biased and I don't really like the way the parents have been presenting themselves to the public ever since they went to the media. But we'll get into all of that later. Without further ado, Grab your drinks and snacks and listen up. I'm going to start by reading you the translated police document that was written by Inspector Vitor Martins from the Criminal Investigation Department of Portimao on the 4th of May 2007. Matter. Participation of disappearance of a minor in brackets child. It is my duty to inform that today, at around 10 past 12 a.m., Officer Patricio from the GNR in Lagos communicated the disappearance of a female child aged four and of English nationality to this force. According to the GNR officer, the disappearance took place yesterday at around 10.40 p.m. in a bedroom of a ground floor apartment at the Ocean Club, located in Praia da Luz, where a family composed of a couple and three underage children were staying. So how did we get here? What happened up until now to give way to the circumstances under which a little girl could vanish from her bedroom? Madeline Beth McCann was born on the 12th of May 2003 to Gerald Patrick McCann and Kate Marie McCann, maiden name Healy. Two years later, in February of 2005, Maddie became the big sister of the twins Sean and Amelie. The five of them lived in Leicestershire in England. And I know this is a really cliche thing to say, but they were honestly a picture-perfect little family. Madeline was this beautiful child with blonde hair and big blue eyes. She loved ice cream more than anything. Both her parents were doctors and the family was honestly well financially. They also had a big social circle and in 2007 the McCanns decided to go on a joint family vacation with a group of friends who, through their involvement in this situation, became known as the Tapas Seven. They were Diane Webster, Fiona and David Payne, Jane Tanner and Russell O'Brien, as well as Matthew and Rachel Oldfield. And these other adults also brought their children along. So in total, there were nine adults and eight children on this trip. On the 28th of April, they arrived at the Ocean Club in Praia da Luz, 
where they had rented out apartment 5A on the ground floor. The apartment had a main entrance facing the street as well as a back entrance into the living room through a sliding door. They were meant to vacation there for a week and at first everything was perfectly fine. The children spent time in a children's club whilst the adults played tennis but they'd also spent plenty of time all together as a family hanging out by the pool which Madeline in particular seemed to enjoy a lot. In the evenings the McCanns would get the kids ready for bed and read to them and when they were asleep they would go out for dinner with all the other adults at the tapas bar which was located across the swimming pool area about 50 yards away from the McCann's apartment. When the group first dined there on the evening of April 29th they asked if it was possible to make a reservation for the same table for every night of the week as they could look out over the pool towards the apartment from said table. Now this was usually not possible and reservations always had to be made on the same day but when the parents explained that their children were sleeping in the apartment by themselves and they wanted to keep an eye on them the waitress made a note in the reservation book stating exactly that. Many people think that someone who worked at the tapas bar could be responsible for Madeline's disappearance or at least responsible for tipping off her kidnapper. The McCanns and their friends had the same routine every evening and Madeline didn't go missing until their last evening on holiday. Almost as if someone sees the last possible opportunity. I'm obviously saying all of this in a speculative way and working under the assumption that she was indeed abducted by a stranger, but I'm getting ahead of myself. The day before Madeline's disappearance, the McCanns got up at 7.30 and ate their breakfast in the apartment. Whilst having breakfast, Maddie supposedly asked her parents where they were when we were crying last night. And a neighbour, who stayed above them in the same building, later reported that she had heard children crying for up to two hours during the week. The McCanns insisted that they walk from the bar back to the apartment at half-hour intervals to check on the children, but that would obviously be a lie if the children had been heard crying for hours on end. The family left the apartment at 9am and dropped off the kids at the kids club where they stayed until lunch at 12.30 and then from 2.30pm until 5pm whilst the parents went about their day doing their own thing, taking tennis lessons and all that. The parents then bathed the kids in the apartment, gave them dinner and put them to bed, all in the same bedroom at around 7.30pm. I want to add here that they for some reason opted to leave their children all under the age of five unsupervised in an apartment in a foreign country with unlocked doors. Yes, that's right. The McCanns deliberately left the sliding glass door ever so slightly open so as not to cause any commotion and wake them up when constantly locking and unlocking the door. They later also said that they left the door ajar so that the children could escape in case of a fire. And these two adults Parents of three thought that doing this would be a better option than bringing the children to evening daycare, which the resort did indeed offer. The reasoning for this was that the children would probably wake up when they picked them up late and it would disrupt the night's rest. Now, it seems to me like the children are really light sleepers if the parents are taking 
all these precautions to ensure that they will sleep through the night and not wake up randomly. But the twins actually ended up sleeping through all of the chaos that ensued after Maddie went missing and didn't even wake up when they were moved from the crime scene to a different apartment. This was so strange that police on scene actually took note of it. So either the parents just didn't know their children that well, or something more suspicious was going on here. Some of you might know what I'm implying, but I won't get into the theories just yet. Kate and Gerald stayed in the apartment for about an hour after the children went to bed and then left for the usual dinner meetup with the others at the tapas bar. Keep in mind that this is the original timeline that Kate gave to the police. So they all arrive at the bar and sit down at the table and get to drinking and talking. Somewhere between 5 past 9 p.m. and quarter past 9 p.m., Gerald goes to check up on his kids for the first time. After the short walk to the apartment, he notices that the sliding glass door was open a lot wider than he had initially left it, but upon answering, everything seemed fine. The children were sleeping peacefully, the windows and shutters were closed. I don't know what to make of this because I imagine that if you found the door you left open only ever so slightly to be halfway open all of a sudden, you'd certainly get paranoid and lock it or at least tell someone about it or check on the kids more frequently. But Jerry did none of that. I can also imagine that the door was not actually opened any wider than he'd left it at that point of the evening, but that in a way to explain to himself what had happened to his daughter and that there had been warning signs, he kind of convinced himself of it after the fact. Once again, this is all just speculation. On with the timeline. He left his apartment and went back to the bar, stopping on his way to talk to a friend that he had made during the vacation, just out on the street. Back at the tapas bar, Jane left the table at 9.20pm to go check on her own children in a different apartment. On her way there, she claimed to have seen Jerry and his friend on the other side of the street, but they don't remember having seen her. And Jane also saw a man carrying a child in the corridor of the main entrance. Jane was convinced that she saw whoever abducted Maddie right then and there. I want to get into this as it has been debunked by the police multiple times. First of all, after Kate had alerted everyone that Madeline has been taken, Jane said nothing about the sighting. She explained it away by saying that she didn't want to upset Madeline's parents anymore and quote, the damage to us being more than the benefit to Madeline, end quote, which is obviously not true. If she really saw whoever had taken Madeline, then that would be crucial in establishing a timeline and the first 48 hours after any abduction are when the chances of finding someone are the highest. When it comes to child abduction cases, that time frame is even smaller and the chances of the victim being found alive are highest in the first three hours. Withholding this information wouldn't have done anyone any good. Certainly not Madeline's parents who only wanted their daughter back. When she did tell Kate several days after the disappearance and went to the police to describe the man, she couldn't remember anything other than his haircut and that he had an oval face as well as the manner in which he was carrying the child, which seemed odd as he was carrying it more like a bundle rather than a human being. 
but as time went on, Jane seemed to remember more and more details about the man, going so far as to giving a detailed account of his clothing and arguing that based on his wardrobe, he couldn't have been a tourist. She also described the child he was carrying as a blonde girl with pink pyjamas and noted that she wasn't wearing shoes or socks. After seven years, the police finally dismissed the theory that this was the person who took Maddie because a man that had been on holiday at the resort with his family at the time of Madeline's disappearance came forward as he believed that he was the person who Jane Tanner saw that evening. He matched the description perfectly down to his and his daughter's clothing and he said that Jane must have seen him after he picked up his daughter from evening daycare and was walking back to where they were staying. At 9.30, Matt goes to check up on his own kids and offers to also check on Maddie and her siblings. He returns shortly thereafter, reporting that everything looks quiet in there. He later said that he remembers seeing the twins, but he can't be 100% certain that Madeline was still in her bed at that point. And many people believe that he didn't actually enter the apartment and only listened in on them from the door. At 10pm, it's Kate's turn to get up and check on her kids. And when she arrives at the apartment, she too notices the door being open slightly wider than what she remembers. She goes in and when she opens the door to the bedroom, it is slammed shut by a gust of wind caused by the bedroom window being open even though she had closed it before leaving that evening. Now, this is all according to Kate, but not only was the window open, so were the curtains and the shutters. There is, however, a discrepancy in this, because in the crime scene photos that the police took, the windows were in fact closed. Kate attributed this to her husband, who, according to her, examined the windows and the shutters to determine whether or not they had been tampered with, and then closed them. But when the police collected fingerprints from the window, they didn't find Jerry's prints, only Kate's. As soon as Kate looked into the bed and realised that her eldest daughter Maddie wasn't there, she immediately ran out of the apartment, leaving her other two children behind. She ran all the way back to the bar where she announced to her husband and all of her friends that Maddie is missing. They have taken her. At this point, Jane was not present. She was already in her apartment, but she heard people frantically shouting downstairs and watched from her balcony. The family informed the police instantly and the GNR, basically the local parole unit, showed up shortly thereafter. But at that point, there had already been multiple people in and out of the apartment and hence the crime scene was contaminated. A lot of people have been bashing the police for how they handled the case that initial night, but we have to keep in mind that at that point, the police's main objective was to find Maddie. They didn't even know if she had been taken from the apartment or if she had wandered off on her own and had been taken whilst outside or stumbled or gotten hurt. They didn't treat the apartment how you would treat a crime scene because at this point, it was not considered a crime scene. If anyone was standing in the way of the investigation, it was the McCanns, who deliberately avoided instructions given by the police. They had been told not to alert the media, because if Maddie had been taken, the perpetrator may feel threatened by the police, being onto him and look for the quickest way to get rid of the little girl. 
The McCanns did not follow this and contacted the press within minutes. They were then instructed to at least not tell anyone about a defect in Madeline's eye called coloboma, an extremely rare condition that would make it easier to identify her and therefore pose a threat to the perpetrator. Once again, the McCanns did not listen. At this point, word spread that her little girl was missing and everyone sort of came together and went looking for her. Later that same night, local police got the judicial police, the Portuguese equivalent of the FBI involved. So this case was big, right from the get-go, and pressure from the public would only increase as the days went by. The first official lead and suspect was Robert Murat, a British guy who lived with his mother on the grounds of the Ocean Club. He offered to act as a translator in the case because he was fluent in both English and Spanish, and for some reason, the police thought that this was strange, and he was inserting himself into the investigation a little too much. Which is odd, considering that they had no real evidence against him, and pretty much everyone wanted to help with the investigation. He was definitely not the only one approaching the police or the McCanns. Plus, I can actually speak from experience when I say that miscommunication is definitely a big issue when it comes to dealing with authorities in Portugal. When my family and I were on holiday in Portugal when I was very little, our rental car was broken into whilst we were on a little walk at a rest stop, and all of our valuables were stolen. My parents only realised hours later, and when it came to talking to the authorities, they actually thought that we were a family of four, not three, and that one of my siblings had been taken, because they got our paperwork confused. So it's only reasonable for someone to offer up to help with translating in a case like this. Murat later said, quote, The internet is full of theories. I want to know the truth, not theories. I just want to know why that was the case. It didn't only lead to me being destroyed, it led to my whole family being destroyed, affected by those allegations. End quote. Robert also had a theory of his own. He thought he saw a potential suspect, a woman dressed in all purple scrubs, like a nurse, suspiciously standing around outside of the McCann's apartment for an extended period of time. But that statement was never looked into further, at least not that I know of. Anyways, the police and the media essentially harassed this guy. He didn't want to be photographed and for his face to be plastered around newspapers, which I guess could be seen as suspicious, but I also think it's kind of understandable, especially considering that he was dealing with a messy divorce back in England and maybe didn't want it to be known that he was in Portugal with his mother. Regardless, years later, he was cleared as a suspect and the media apologised to him, but he says that to this day he can't read about the case online because the experience was so harrowing for him. After a while, the public's opinions on the McCanns seemed to shift, and the media grew more suspicious of their cold and collected demeanour. Soon, they were considered suspects themselves. The police decided to bring in two British sniffer dogs, Eddie and Keela. Eddie was trained to detect human blood, even if it had been cleaned up and there were no visible traces of it. And Keela was a cadaver dog, meaning she would alert to the scent of a human corpse, even if it had been moved a long, long time ago. They searched a number of apartments with these dogs, but the only places they alerted to were inside the apartment 5A, more specifically behind the sofa and near the closet in the McCann's bedroom. 
They also alerted to items of Kate's clothing, as well as the rental car that the McCanns rented months after the disappearance of their daughter. And to cuddle Cat, Madeline's stuffed animal, a small pink cat. What's interesting about this is that Kate carried that stuffed animal around everywhere she went when Maddie first went missing. She was clutching it at every press conference and during every interview. She said it provided her with comfort, knowing that Madeline had held it and that it still smelled like her. But when the police showed up with the sniffer dogs, they found she had washed the stuffed animal. When asked as to why, she said that it was dirty with sunscreen and she just needed to wash it. The McCanns went on this endless tirade about just how unreliable those sniffer dogs were. Jerry answering to the question of what he thought of the results of the dog search that the interviewer should quote, ask the dogs. But simply saying that the dogs couldn't be trusted wasn't enough for the McCanns because they also tried coming up with all sorts of excuses. They said that their clothes were alerted to because they were both doctors and so the smell of death would be on them. Never mind the fact that doctors wear scrubs and that the holiday wardrobe must vary from their everyday clothing. When a DNA sample that matched Maddie's DNA profile was found in their rental car, they said it was because one of their other children had had a nosebleed in there at some point. Maybe, if you truly know very little about this case, you're wondering why anyone would suspect the parents of the victim. After all, how could anyone do this to their child? Well, this is just one of many theories in this case. But many people believe that the McCanns were sedating their children and giving them sleep medication so as not to wake them up in the middle of the night whilst they were out with their friends. Once again, they were both doctors and they would certainly have access to this medication. The theory is that they gave the children a little more than usual as they had been waking up and crying during the night and that Maddie accidentally died and that they, in an effort to save whatever they had left, disposed of her body and staged the abduction. After all, their entire careers as doctors and the custody of their other children was at stake. Many also point to just how odd the couple seemed to act when interacting with the media, but others simply attribute this to coaching. In fact, the McCanns were assigned a PR consultant by the name of Clarence Mitchell, who would become known as the spokesperson for the McCanns. He was known for dealing with press scandals and cleaning up a company or an individual's image in the face of the press. He was actually the main consultant for the PR press scandal around the Costa Concordia in 2005. Now, why does the family of a victim in an abduction case need help with their image? I don't have an answer for that. All I can say is that at first, Mr. Mitchell's very high salary was covered by the government. Later, some millionaire back in the UK offered to cover the costs so that he could keep working with the McCanns. And when he backed out because he realized how sketchy the McCanns looked to the public, Jerry and Kate decided to pay him with money taken straight from the Madeline McCann Fund, a fund that had been set up to find Madeline. But this is not the first nor the last time that the money from that fund was used for questionable reasons. The McCanns had paid off their mortgage on their house as well as financed many lawsuits using the money that people had donated out of the good of their heart. We're talking children that emptied their piggy banks and collected money at schools. 
My grandmother and many people I know donated to this fund and you can imagine the huge sum of money that accumulated over the years. They also befriended a bunch of sketchy people when the investigation was still fresh, most notably Clement Freud. Yes, he was related to that Freud. And guess what? He also was a known pedophile and lived very close to the Ocean Club. He was a cook and generally not a very sociable guy. He had hardly any contact with any of the people in the community, but when Madeline's case blew up, he invited the parents over to have lunch at his home, and Kate later wrote about it in her book, lavishly describing the delicious food and how helpful it was to have someone to joke with who wasn't pointing a finger at them, unlike all of the media and the police. Which is all good and well, I suppose, but Clement was literally making jokes, ridiculing the investigation and saying things such as, quote, what are they going to do? Put the dogs on the stand, back once for yes and twice for no, end quote. The McCanns are also very opposed to any other theories of what happened to their daughter. They are dead set on this being a kidnapping and they refuse to acknowledge any evidence that suggests otherwise. Kate is not the only person who wrote a book on this case. The Portuguese lead investigator Gonzalo Amaral also wrote a book, A Verdade de Mentira, also known as The Truth of the Line, in which he elaborates on his theory that Maddie died in apartment 5A and that the parents tried to cover it up. Obviously, the McCanns got very upset at this. They sued him and initially won, but the charges were dropped and now he wants to sue the McCanns in return. Whatever money is left in the Madeleine McCann fund could be lost should they lose this case. There were also two other suspects in this case. Police artist sketches were made up of them and people believe that they are connected to a child trafficking ring and that this is where Maddie ended up. Though this lead went cold just like any other. For the sake of my own sanity, I'm not even going to attempt to list all the theories or potential suspects pointed out by eyewitnesses such as the infamous smallpox guy. Before I talk about the most recent lead in the case, I want to quickly touch upon the question that I and many others have asked ourselves time and time again. Why this case? What is it about this case? Why is this the missing person case with the most media coverage, the most public attention? What about all the other cases that are just as tragic and involve children just like Maddie, and many of which actually have way more substantial leads and evidence. Why aren't millions put into investigating those cases, into finding those children? Unfortunately, there is no answer. There are countless missing children cases at any location, at any time. It is virtually impossible to treat them all to this extent. In the end, it all comes down to the circumstances of the victim and the crime. The fact that Maddie was abducted whilst on holiday and that two different countries sent police to investigate already meant that this case would get much more coverage than usual. If you care about true crime, I urge you to look into your own local funds for missing children cases. Do your research and see how you can contribute. Because every child deserves justice and the family deserves peace of mind. Now, let's talk about the developments in the McCann case that were made public in 2020. As the case was being investigated in 2011, the Metropolitan Police came up with a list of essentially people of interest, just individuals that they wanted to look into at some point. Now, on that list 
were around 600 people, 41 of which were considered potential suspects. So it was definitely a bit of a needle in a haystack situation, especially considering how little law enforcement had to go on. In 2013, a German television program that deals with unsolved cases asked for more information about two German individuals who were in Praia da Luz at the time of Madeline's disappearance. They received a couple of tips, one of them matching a name that was already on that list of names. At this point, the German Federal Police was also involved in investigating this case. So they have known about this since circa 2017, but they kept the information hidden from the public until June 2020, and the press had a field day with this new information. The police said that they had a brand new suspect named Christian Bruckner, who was a registered sex offender and was currently in jail in Kiel, Germany for assault. But although German police insist that they can say with certainty that this man kidnapped and killed Madeline, all of the evidence against him is once again nothing but circumstantial. He fits the profile and cell phone records show him in proximity of the Ocean Club at the time of Madeline's abduction. And they know that he had a 30-minute phone conversation with a still unknown individual at the Ocean Club around the time during which Maddie is thought to have been abducted. He also went on a trip to Lisbon with his girlfriend at the time, shortly after Maddie went missing. The father of said ex-girlfriend actually said in an interview that his daughter owned this compound at the Algarve and only she and Christian had access to it. It was secluded and overgrown and guarded by dogs. There's also another property that Christian is connected to that is located about 10 minutes away from the Ocean Club. Christian lived at the Algarve coast for a couple of years, sustaining himself with jobs like catering and dealing drugs. He also had two vehicles, a VW camper registered in Portugal and a Jaguar registered in Germany to his name. The registration of that car was actually changed from Christian's name to someone else's name, also in Germany, literally a day after Madeline went missing. Christian is, like I said, a known offender, and he attacked both very young and very old victims, one of them being an American woman in her 70s. It seems like he's just really into weak victims that can't really put up a fight. He was also known to have previously broken into apartments of people vacationing at the resort, but he has not been known to have ever kidnapped anyone. The police still haven't given the public any information about his potential motive. All they've said is that they think that this was a crime of opportunity, that he randomly broke into a random apartment and then chose to take Maddie with him on the spot. But why were none of the family's valuables taken if this was just an unorganized burglary? Bruckner was also said to have bragged about kidnapping and killing Maddie on a forum, as well as to someone in a bar. He really doesn't seem like the most calculated guy, not the sort of guy that gets away with his crimes. I personally think that if Bruckner did kidnap Maddie, it was because someone told him to do so. The case of Madeleine McCann is listed as a missing persons case in the UK and as a homicide case in Germany. After all these years, it seems like we're getting closer, yet are still so far away from finding the answer. What do you guys think happened that summer night in Portugal? 
I honestly believe that a multitude of factors were involved in this case and that the solution is more complex than just one theory. With that being said, I'm going to end this episode here. I tried keeping it short and I know I left out a bunch of the random suspects that were based only on eyewitness sightings, but I hope that you still got most of the relevant information about this case from this, because it's truly a mystery. Once again, check out my Instagram at Serial Crimes Podcast or my Twitter at Serial Crimes for sources and updates, as well as suggestions for my next episode. I hope you enjoyed your serial, and I'll be back soon with more crimes to cover.